0: Welcome to Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome. Well, we got a hot topic for you today. Have you got an idea, a product, a scheme, a theme, something you wanna foist on the world and you think you're gonna make the splash, the next shiny object? We have a lot of interesting insights for you about entrepreneurship. What do you need to do to get it out there and be successful? Great if you keep those ideas coming, but maybe you'll learn something about the pitfalls that could get in the way of your success of whatever you are planning to do. I have four very interesting guests today, but first let me give you a little overview of our topic. You know, I always start with a buzz quote. And by the way, panelists, wave hello to LinkedIn. We're live on LinkedIn. Go ahead, Robert, Bob, Jim, Don, everybody wave hello and Facebook. There we go, LinkedIn and Facebook. So here's buzz number one, a quote from Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. You've probably had a Wendy's burger at some point in your life. Dave Thomas wrote, what do you need to start a business? Three simple things. Know your product better than anyone. A good start know your customer okay and have a burning desire to succeed that's the quote we used to call that the fire in the belly quote number two buzz number two is from michael arrington the founder and co-editor of TechCrunch. you may use their website from time to time he said the best startups generally come from somebody needing to scratch an itch that means is there a need A burning need. There we go. Back to that word burning again. Buzz number three is from Kevin Rose, the co-founder of Dig D-I-G-G. Go check it out. He says, don't let others convince you that the idea is good when your gut tells you it's bad. Okay. So much for family and friends. And buzz number four is from Jules Pieri, the Gromit co-founder and CEO. And he said, listen, to really important. Ignore the hype of the startups that you see in the press. Mostly it's a pack of lies half of these startups will be dead in a year so focus on building your business so you can be the one left standing oh my so here today and they're each going to wave and introduce them don deloach at rocket wagon venture studios is back don has been on many many times this year and in previous years and don is responsible for bringing the other panelists so if you like them you can all Join me in thanking Don. Here we go. Professor Robert N. Eberhardt, and he took Professor off of his name here on LinkedIn, but on Zoom, but we know. And he is at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. Welcome, Mr. Eberhardt, Professor. We also have welcoming back Jim Gagnard. He likes the way I pronounce his last name. Somebody's getting alerts. He's at Industrial IoT Studio. We have IoT in there, Internet of Things for the Uninitiated. And Bob Mazur is also a newcomer. Bob is at Smart City Works. Love the name of your company, Bob. And we're going to ask them for their insights on the future of entrepreneurship. Why will startups keep failing. I know. I Somebody's getting a lot of alerts there. You must be getting, wow, I'm seeing you on LinkedIn and you look great. That's all I can imagine. If you could lower the alerts, that would be great. So let's go around the table. Gentlemen, three minutes. I know you all have 15-page bios with all of your accomplishments, but if you could reduce that to about a three-minute introduction and tell us just briefly what is your passion for our topic today. Don DeLoach, welcome back. I'm putting you on speaker view. Don, let's hear. Don, I'm guessing... I, it's always hard to tell, got to stop those alerts, somebody, please. Don, I'm guessing there might be 4.3 people in the world who don't remember you from the last time you were on my show a couple weeks ago. So could you talk to those 4.3 people, please? Go ahead, Don.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, so yeah, I'm Don DeLoach. I have uh, been sort of a serial entrepreneur over the last 20 years and about two years ago began to work on starting Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Uh, it's basically uh, a, a model designed to help startups get from the minimum viable product stage to uh, uh, scalable repeatable commercialization. Uh, the quote i the, the statistic I like to use is that while ninety percent of startups fail, about seventy percent fail in the execution phase and that's that stage two from the MVP to uh, uh, to to scalable repeatable commercialization and and so the studio is designed to um, really help the, the startups along by creating an apprenticeship model, surrounding them with the experienced entrepreneurs who are rolling up their sleeves alongside them, kind of like a, a residency program would be for surgeons. And I do this because back to you know the main question, I, I'm passionate about uh, two things, really uh, entrepreneurship and uh, IOT and cyber physical transformation. And so what I'm doing right now, is really a combination of those two passions. And, and I think it, um, it's just a a lot of fun. So thanks.
1: Thank you, Don. Interesting that you mentioned the word fun. It is supposed to be fun when you come up with a new idea, right? Does anybody agree that it's supposed to be fun? And maybe that's when it stops being fun when you do something about everybody. Give me a thumbs up if you think it's supposed to be fun. Entrepreneurship, Bob, Robert, Jim. Jim, uh, uh, we're not. No. Mensa, Mensa. I, yeah. I I, used to be a card-carrying member of Mensa, speaking of that. Anyway, I lost my card. What can I tell you? We'll, we'll talk about that during the show. Interesting point, Don, yes. And I, I think when somebody sits down at, well, used to be at a cocktail party, used to be at a birthday party. Now, who knows how we're connecting with people? Oh, I have this great idea. And remember, you were going to go to your FFF, family, friends, and fools, and ask them for money. Now you might go to an angel investor. Now you might go to one of those FFFs and see what you want to do with it. And then the question is, how much longer can you have fun? Let's go on with our introductions here. Sitting next to you virtually is Professor Robert N. Eberhardt. Professor, how do you want me to call you, Robert or Mr. Eberhardt? Professor, call me Robert
2: is good. Uh, Call me
1: Robert. Introduce uh, yourself, please.
2: Thank you so much, and uh, it's a real honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me, and um, it's uh, very intimidating to be around these these distinguished people. Um, My name's uh, Robert Eberhardt. Um, I'm at uh, Stanford's uh, Graduate School of Business, where I run the research on a program called Entrepreneurship and Society. What we're doing is figuring out how this phenomenon of entrepreneurship, which used to be a little puppy, is now a big dog that's tracking mud into the house. And we're trying to understand a little bit better what's actually going on. So, for example, why do you hear the phrase, it's okay to fail? It's never okay to fail if you're an entrepreneur. And when, when I uh, bring to this party, not just an academic background, Uh, But I was the founder of a successful startup in Japan. I had four rounds of venture capital. Uh, We grew to become one of the largest companies of our kind. Um, we sold that. We sold that. Uh, it was my second company. Before that, I was a semiconductor executive, and I've worked in venture capital. So I bring a practitioner's view of how things are done, the experience of having to do something. And when you said when the idea was fun, I just had to think and remember that when I ran a company in Japan for seven years, the only good night's sleep I had was the day I sold it. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Robert, I bet your students love you. Thank you very, very have, much. Have Have you? Well, thank you. Have And I bet the others on the panel are equally in awe of you being part of the panel, right? Don DeLoach. That's why Don invited 100%. you. Everybody here is is standing on their own merits as a, as a an expert, as an authority, as somebody who knows what they're talking about. So, Don is a big Robert, part
2: of our project. So, thank you. I wanted to mention that too.
1: Very, very, very intrigued. Did you ever do stand up comedy, Robert? Robert? I'm wondering. <laughs> I well, did wait, stand up. <laughs> <get>
2: paid well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we never get paid well, but we have fun making, yeah, we have fun holding up the mirror of reality to, to the human condition and all that good stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Jim Gagnard. Monsieur, would you please reintroduce yourself? I don't know if as many, you haven't been on as often as Don, so he was talking to 4.3 people. I'm guessing you're going to talk to about 10.8 people around the world who don't remember you. Shame on them. Jim, welcome. Talk to us.
3: Well, I mean, Don's just more compelling and famous, you know. I just have to go with that. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm uh, basically a serial uh, CEO. I lived in Silicon Valley for 20-plus years where a number of us helped companies move to the next level of uh, success. Oftentimes the the founder said, I don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes the board said, we don't want you to do this anymore. So my... uh, whole life in tech has been around operating. I never spent much time focusing on where the rubber meets the sky. I was much more focused on where the rubber meets the road. Um, every day we were trying to find a way to solve real problems and make these companies successful and of course make our investors happy if it's possible for an investor to be happy. You know, That's a very deep question. So I'm uh, excited about this because The Internet of Things is going to touch everybody, and I mean everybody, and there's going to be so many opportunities for people to try to solve real issues, and I'd like to help them do that.
1: Well, thank you very much, and welcome back. Um, Jim, very, very interesting, and for those who are watching us live on LinkedIn and on Facebook, you are sitting in a golf course. I understand it's a very famous one in your background. I'm just going to say that you're really there, and you managed to get your, uh, your remote audio. Where is this golf course, Jim?
3: In Scotland, Troon, Scotland. I wish I was there, but I'm not. I'm here <laughs> having a chance to chat with you and other people.
1: Well, you're very kind to take time out from whatever hole you're working on there, and we appreciate <laughs> that. But we're just going to go with the myth, okay? Just, just humor <laughs> me there. And now let's go to our second, our fourth guest, but our second newcomer, Bob Mazer, very honored to have you here. I read your bio with great interest. And Bob, you are somewhere in this really, really impressive. I don't know whether it's a courtyard or it's a lanai or it's a (laughs) a part of a meeting room somewhere. So Bob, would you please honor us with your bio? Welcome.
4: Sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me here. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Um, If those of us in this space know you can have a lot of fun, although you can have a lot of aggravation at the same time. Um, My background is sort of different from everybody else's. I'm a lawyer, so A, don't hold that against me, but B, because I'm a lawyer and I worked in telecom and technology, I saw things that not everybody else sees. You see things connect, and I was able to come up with ideas for creating companies and ended up creating companies. Um, even back in the, the early 90s, I saw that uh, there was an opportunity to convert FM radio to digital bitstreams and help start a company which became known as Ibiquity uh, or HD radio. And, you, you know, you, you look at the technology, how it works and how it's going to impact people. And that's exciting. You're gonna, if you can do something that creates something completely new, that's truly exciting. But the challenges are, and I'm sure we'll get into this, we're humans and humans have emotions and humans do dumb things at times because of that. And, that fits to me as I watch, you know, companies uh, develop and uh, blossom. Uh, that oftenly uh, carries a yoke around their neck sometimes. But right now, about five years ago, I was looking outside of my window, and there was a new building being built, and I said, "Hmm." That looks like the same the way that building was being built five years ago as the one that I looked at 30 years ago when I was a kid. And I went to a friend of mine and I said, has anything changed in building a building? And he looked He looked at me, he said, no. I said, "Could what about creating an accelerator program to spur innovation? And he says, you're crazy, that'll never happen. And I said, okay, that's a challenge. And we created Smart City Works and we've had about 40 companies come through our program. Uh, to up to today.
1: Thank you very much. Bob, I'm intrigued. You said 30 years ago, you were a kid. Can I say the same thing 30 years ago when I was a kid? I want to... Okay, I'll I, say 40. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to stay with 30. I, I want to stay with 30. That's fine. I must have been starting another phase of my life. Yeah. Interesting. It is all about people, Bob Mazer, and, and that's interesting. I host many, many business-focused radio shows for big companies like IDC and SAP and Deloitte. And um, I don't usually disclose my clients, but we're talking about business strategy. We're talking about technology, and I always try to bring the conversation back to the people part. I introduced over and over again the term change management. How do people adapt and adopt? What are people doing with this? How do people stay motivated? How do people stay on track? So I appreciate what you said about technology and people. And who was it who said that it's like it was a puppy and now it's a big dog tracking mud? Jim Gagnard, you said that, right?
3: No, no, it wasn't but Oh,
1: Robert, the professor said that. I I really appreciate that. we did mention fun. We did mention that the, the only time somebody slept was the day they sold their company. So I'm very happy. Don, thank you for already, I'm very impressed with your guests here today. So let's go to the opening quotes. For the new listeners around the world, the new viewers, I ask my guests in advance to please send me a quote from a fictional character from a movie or a TV show or a song lyric. <laughs> something in popular culture, doesn't have to be very recent, but something that will intrigue us all that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to explain in their own words how they think it does. So I'm going Don DeLoach to you first. And you send us a quote from Dr. Sean McGuire, played by the late great, left us way too soon, Robin Williams. The movie, Goodwill Hunting, 1997 American psychological drama film. Very interesting movie. And here's the quote. I think Bob Mazer will appreciate this. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Don, how'd you find this one? It's actually quite brilliant. Go ahead. Uh, well,
0: first of all, it's one of my favorite movies, uh, and that actually is one of my favorite scenes where they're out, you know, by the Charles River, and and Robin Williams is is talking um, uh, uh, to Matt Damon and basically saying that it occurred to him that while he was super smart and that he um, had all of these great insights, that at the end of the day, it was all um, book smart. Or not even didactic learning. It's just basically he's, he's absorbing everything he can get his hands on, but he's never left Boston. And the, 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 the gist of the, of the quote for me is that experience matters. It, it, you, can, you can only build up so much by academic learning, but when you pair that with experience, that's where the real value comes through. And to me, that's what the quote was about. And to me, that's really, in, in a nutshell, the embodiment of the trajectory of a startup.
1: Thank you very much. Get your feet wet, dip your toe in the pool, right, Don? Take your chances. But what we're here today trying to help our listeners and around the world, our viewers, is do it smart, right? Do it smart so that maybe you can get one good night's sleep before you sell the company, even if it's very successful, and make a lot of money doing that. Okay, Robert Eberhardt has sent us a quote from number six, a character played by Patrick Magoo in the movie. I'm sorry, it was a TV series, The Prisoner, 1967. Let me give a little background. Prisoner, British avant-garde social science fiction television series about an unnamed that's why it's number with a capital N, six with a capital S. Unnamed British intelligent agent abducted and imprisoned in a mysterious coastal village. Could be near your golf course, Jim Ganyard, I'm not sure. Whereas okay, captors, I yeah, I, I know, I'm looking. Whereas captors try to find out why he abruptly resigned from his job, created by Patrick McGowan and George Markstein. McGowan played the lead role of number six. Episode plots have elements of science fiction, allegory and psychological drama, drama as well as spy fiction. Here's the quote, I'm not a number, I'm a free man. Robert, talk to us, how'd you pick this one?
2: Thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, again, it's probably my favorite television series and uh, it's a wonderful, uh, it was written beautifully and written very deliberately as an allegory of uh, an individual versus the collective. And the reason that it's really important for here in this declaration, I'm not a number, I'm a free man, is that that's the meaning that much entrepreneurship gives to people now. Their ability to be autonomous, to be free, free of collective constraints. What's interesting about that is that that's not what entrepreneurship really is if you think of entrepreneurship as building a company. Uh, entrepreneurship's a very collective Activity. Um, if you, I think most of the people on the call have been CEOs, at least top of companies, and they know that you're basically free from no one. There's pretty much everybody thinks they own you, and um, you know you owe things to people, and uh, it's a very, very collective and binding activity. And so the reason for the quote, more than anything else, is that as your buzz said at the beginning we need to clarify sort of the hype that you see in the press a lot mm-hmm. and, and compare it to the reality because really what it comes down to and what this quote highlights, entrepreneurship, if we're talking about really building a company rather than building an engineering project, is a serious business mm-hmm. and has to be conducted seriously and uh, is very much a collective activity. So I wanted to highlight that in the quote. And, I, and thank you for introducing it so well, too.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I actually enjoy doing the research. And Don knows that if somebody sends a quote from a particular movie or song or TV show and it's wrong, I will correct them. I have a guest coming on a show tomorrow who sent me a quote from what he thought was Miracle on Ice. And actually that was a TV series. The movie version is Miracle and the character was played by someone else in Miracle. And I went and did the research and sent him all my findings and he was very, he appreciated it so we don't embarrass ourselves on the show tomorrow. Thank you very much, my pleasure. Let's go to Jim Gagnard to send us a quote, a very famous quote stated by Captain, a prison warden played by Struther Martin in, of course, Cool Hand Luke, 1967 American prison drama film and this line Jim I don't know if you know this is number 11 on the American Film Institute that's the AFI's 100 years 100 movie quotes list movie stars Paul Newman and features George Kennedy in his Oscar-winning performance here is the quote listen up what we've got here is failure to communicate Jim Gagnard, sounds like this could be a mantra for entrepreneurs looking at their investors and their stakeholders and saying, you don't get me yet. Jim, talk to me. How'd you find the quote?
3: Got to put a little more accent in there, you know. What we got (laughs) here is a failure to communicate. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I think all of us have talked about the fact that entrepreneurship is all about people. And one of the key issues with teams of people is communication. And I don't mean just communication to people in the company. I mean communication to the investors, to the outside world, to the prospects. And even more importantly, communication to yourself, uh, being realistic about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, there's so many, so many entrepreneurs that are congenitally doomed to telling you what they do rather than communicating the problem they are solving, okay? People want their pain relieved, they don't just want to know what you do. You have to create that connection with them. You have to create that same connection with your team that you're solving a real problem. How many times have all of us been involved with companies that were massively searching for a problem to solve and don't get me wrong, I respect entrepreneurs phenomenally because they have the drive and the energy to go out and solve something. It's just sometimes no matter how good of a job they do, there isn't a problem to solve and I think all of us have been through that a few times. So communication is just so critical in all aspects of the business. That's why I thought that quote made sense. I mean for example how many entrepreneurs spend time chasing companies that aren't ready to buy, they're not early adopters. Why don't they focus on communicating with early adopters? Why do they do this? I don't know. And there's a string of other failures in communication that I could mention, but you're going to cut me off. So I'll leave it at that.
1: I'm not going to cut you off. I appreciate everything you said. We just want to make sure everybody gets time. Thank you, Jim, very much. All good points. Let's go to Bob Mazer. He sent a quote from, oh, my goodness, Joel, John L. Sullivan, played by Joel McRae. We are looking back in entertainment history here, Mr. Mazer, And Joel McRae lived from 1905 to 1990. The The comedy film... 1941 American comedy film was Sullivan's Travels. Written and directed by Preston Sergis, a satire on the film industry. It follows a famous Hollywood comedy director, Joel McCray, who longing to make a socially relevant drama. Isn't that interesting? We're talking a movie from 1941 and the term socially relevant. Oh my. Uh, he sets out to live as a tramp. Hobo person living under bridges, I don't know, troll. To gain life experience for his film, he unites with a poor aspiring actress played by Vanessa, Veronica Lake, excuse me, who (laughs) accompanies him. And the title refers to Gulliver's Travels, the 1720, we are going back in history, 1726 novel by satirist Jonathan Swift. Okay, here's the quote Bob has selected. I'm not even going to attempt an accent because I have no idea what Joel McRae sounded like, Bob. Even though we were all we were all young 30 years ago. Forgive me. Um, There's a lot to be said for making people laugh. Did you know that's all some people have? It isn't much, but it's better than nothing in this cockeyed caravan boy I hope I did justice to that Bob Mazer, rescue me please go ahead yes
4: you did very much justice this Thank is you. A, a, one of my favorite movies of all time um, and it's a part of a series yeah. of nine movies that Preston Sturgis did uh, in about a year uh, about a ten year period all black comedies which are just all messaged black comedies um and what I like about it is that the story is a look at look at who you're trying to work with and he goes out and he tries to he wants to make this serious movie so he goes out and he tries to understand where those people are and where they are in their lives and he didn't quite figure it out but he realized how important it was for him as well who made movies mostly comedies as a director to have people laugh and people themselves just laugh at who they are. And it gets back to the human condition. We need to be able to reflect, but we also need to be able to listen um, as Jim just said, and we need to be able to laugh together. And if we take ourselves a little too seriously, we're gonna lose our ability to communicate and collaborate. And today, as we look at startups that are emerging all over the world, startups almost always need some high level of collaboration. And if we can't do that, we can't relate to one another, then I think we're doomed. You know, thank, start
1: you. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you gentlemen all for finding such interesting quotes and allowing me the pleasure of doing so much research. I like that a lot. That's part of why I do this show. Now we're gonna go to the predictions lightning round. Here's how it's going to work. I've already put into the chat for each of you privately so I don't disturb anybody else. The first prediction I have selected from your list, you each sent four or all very well articulated and I thank you for that. And I'm going to read the prediction First from Don, and then from Robert, then from Jim, and then from Bob. After I read your prediction, take three minutes and unpack it. But if you have anything to say about someone else's prediction, just wiggle your hand at me, raise your hand, and go, hey, call me, call me, call me. And when they're done, I will call you. We can make this a roundtable. But before we go into the predictions, I have a question for all of you I think is, is important to me, maybe to our listeners. Is there room for new ideas? Have we done it all yet? Entrepreneurship, should it be? Allowed to survive, should it thrive? Is there room for more people to say, I've got the next great product. I've got the next great widget. I've got the next great idea. Quickly, yes or no, one sentence answer around the table. Don Deloche is there room for more entrepreneurs? Yes. Why?
0: You said one more word.
1: One And one <laughs> sentence, one sentence, plus one, plus one sentence, go ahead. Because
0: the rate of innovation is only increasing based on combinatorial elements of technology and that's creating a, a, an opportunity for more entrepreneurs.
1: Great. Robert, what do you see?
2: There have always been opportunities. There was a huge flowering in the United States around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. And you can think about it. The issue, though, is that entrepreneurship is really not about new ideas. Entrepreneurship is about selling stuff. And so it could be old stuff, could be new stuff. Just sell a lot of it and have good margins.
1: Very interesting approach. Jim Ganyard. yes or no in one sentence. A long sentence, if you will.
3: Yes, but the numbers are clear that the vast majority of innovation is making things that already exist better. So there'll always be room for innovation.
1: Ah, that word "better." Thank you very much, Bob Mazer. What do you think? Absolutely,
4: yes. And if you look at history of human beings, we've done that almost since we could were erect. And whether it's uh, uh, using a wheel. Or, using, or developing a vacuum tube or IoT. We're always pushing forward to make our lives and our capabilities better.
1: Thank you very much. My reference point in asking that question to all of you is I have been interviewing authors, many of them self-help authors, for years and years and years on my other, some of my other radio shows. And most of the authors I meet say, I had a problem in my life. I had a tragedy. I had a a, a hitting the wall, basically, at some point. And I looked around and nobody had written how to get past that, how to get around that wall or over that cliff or scale that building or whatever it was. And I wrote the first definitive book on that. And then I have 20 other people who also have found that there was nobody writing that book about scaling that wall and they become <coughs> the definitive. So there's an entrepreneurship to me in authorship and now with publish on demand, self-publishing, come on, you can you can write a hundred page novella in two nights on Microsoft Word, self-publish and have it up on uh, with an ISBN number in probably 48 hours. Maybe I'm accelerating that too much. And everybody thinks that they have come up with the idea. I'm the one to help everybody climb that mountain, right, Don? I'm the one who's gonna help everybody be the entrepreneur success of the next century. So I'm just intrigued with the idea of innovation and new ideas on the idea side, but I don't want to derail our conversation. Let's go to our predictions. Don Deloche, number two prediction is where I want to start with you, and you said- corporate innovation programs seeking to draw out innovative ideas and solutions will start to include the development of the leadership team and much-needed entrepreneurial leadership qualities. And we've already had somebody talk about collaboration. Don, I'm putting you on speaker view. Please expand this prediction for us. Very interesting.
0: Uh, Sure. So... Um, first of all, there's there's an increasing number of corporate innovation programs, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but like I talk to people all the time, where they'll say uh, we're just getting ramped up on our corporate innovation program, and before I can say anything, he'll you'll, you'll get well wait, wait a second, we're, we're ramping up for the third time because these corporate innovation programs just notoriously struggle, and. And I think that part of that is because while there's huge institutional knowledge inside of corporations that can see gaps that might not be seen otherwise and come up with ideas to address those needs, the idea that that is going to equate to a a traditional entrepreneurial startup is a little misleading for for a couple of reasons. Number one, while all these corporations know they need to innovate now more than ever the idea of entrepreneurs being founders, and you know this person had this idea, so they'll be the CEO of this emerging company within the company. Think about that for a second. If what you want is a a hardcore entrepreneur, those are people who who um, are on the trapeze without a net, and there's a, their risk profile is highly different. And the idea that somebody it doesn't mean that somebody who is in a company of one of 35,000 people can't have that profile. It's just highly unlikely based on the circumstances. And so what happens is there there, there is a disconnect between the idea and the people associated with commercializing that idea. And I do think that corporate innovation programs are going to start to uh, or or, or think more about um, the curation of the talent piece of the equation uh, as well as, and even separate from the idea itself. And sometimes maybe they'll need to bring in people who actually are entrepreneurs into the corporation to take these forward. They'll also need to give careful consideration to how those entrepreneurial founders are treated because you don't want to disincent them, but you also need the right qualities for the right leadership. Because as Jim said, you know, it, it, you know, know, it is about the people. It is absolutely about the people. So it's a key consideration.
1: Interesting, curating the talent. What? That's something I have not heard before. Don, thank you. Anybody have a comment on that before we move on? Looks like we're all good. Okay, Robert Eberhardt, prediction number one, I'm going with you. Say new ventures prediction will fail at an increasingly rate. Everybody listen up. Because more youthful founders are more ill-equipped founders are being encouraged to start a firm before they are ready. Robert, you're in the education field. You must see a lot of this. Talk to us.
2: Hey, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, it's one of the things that we study the most. And let me preface this just a little bit uh, by sort of the idea of how we sort of mix concepts, which create some of the confusion. Um, entrepreneurship as itself can be thought of either broadly or narrowly, and I'm going to suggest we ought to think about it narrowly that is, building an organization to make a profit, um, you know, have some commercial success. If we adopt it broadly as any time I do a new activity, write a book, um, mobile on, lawn, um, something else that, you know, it's entrepreneurship, then we're in a different realm. What we mean by this is that if we're in the classic idea of entrepreneurship as building a commercial endeavor, then the data is very, very clear. Older people are better at it than younger people. Uh, People over 50 are about three times more likely to have success than someone under 30. Um, we do know that people who do it successfully, more than anything else, protect the downside. They're where they, it's like they're playing poker. They play um, to protect their losses, uh, and then will accept but very careful about the gains. But what happens oftentimes is we confuse new ideas and youthful ideas with entrepreneurship. And that's act. There's every reason to encourage new ideas. We totally need them. But that's research. That's engineering. That's science. That's different than the commercial activity of taking some product and selling it. And so what happens is by confusing that issue, we're actually sending people out of school. Let me give you a quick example, and I can't can't get over this, that um, if I take a business law class in undergrad, that doesn't mean I can go out and practice business law and go in front of the bar. And you can argue, but we take people who have one class in entrepreneurship, and actually tell them to start a company and invest other people's money in it. You know, the real thing is that the hard work doesn't get done. The hard work of running a company is identifying the pain, as, as Jim said. It's identifying the market opportunity. You have to do research. You have to know the people in the business. You have to understand the business. You have to know the supplier base, the customer base. It's hard work to know all that stuff. It takes years to learn it. And people don't give themselves the time to develop the expertise they need to have the greatest chance of success of the company you want to build. I had a student come to me and say, I want to start a company. I told them to go, and I asked them what kind of company they wanted to start, and they said something in social media. I said, go work at Facebook for five years and come back and talk to me. And she said, but I want to be an entrepreneur. I said, I'm teaching you how to be an entrepreneur. We'll see you in five years. So anyway, it's that's why I think we're, we're, we have mixed ideas and concepts up. And so we're encouraging, actually, ill-equipped people and not training them sufficiently to go out into this, you know, yeah, it can be fun, but it's a really harsh reality when um, you uh, when you're facing uh, cash flow problems. So um, it's important that we think about this as a serious endeavor, and that's why I think we have uh, a we we need to worry about the increasing failure rate.
1: Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that. And uh, Jim, I'll get you in a second, but I want to add to Don's comment about curating talent. I'm hearing Robert Eberhardt perhaps say we need to curate maturity. Yes, we did. Ah, okay. Jim Gagnard, talk to me. What you got?
3: Yeah, I'd just like to say that some aspects of technology and how it has developed through social media, the advent of the app, have created a free lunch mindset for a number of people, which is, I put a couple lines of code on a phone and I'll be a millionaire. Um, and I leave out all the things that have to go behind that to make a successful company, as others have said. So I just think technology has created some of this free lunch um, aspect to entrepreneurship.
1: Thank you, and Jim Gagnard, you happen to be next on my list for predictions, and I picked prediction number one from you, so I'm gonna keep you up here. You say founders will continue to step on every landmine that other founders have stepped on. Jim, elaborate for us, please. Well
3: there's there's a couple things okay and as i mentioned i totally respect a founder's drive and energy and commitment to to get to something that they believe is real i also believe that early on when they put all this energy into it they're very sensitive to quote their ownership of this effort and i totally respect that but so many companies it's got to be 99% of entrepreneurial companies wander around on their own. They ask some friends and family for some input. They resist bringing on an independent board member, somebody who's done it. Okay. Somebody's already stepped on all these landmines. Instead, they wait a while and then they reluctantly let a VC on because they gave them money. And then maybe later they think about actually bringing an operating mind on to help them avoid a lot of the things that they're gonna go through and it just it boggles my mind, okay, that it's I see it even now. I just I was on a phone call yesterday with some entrepreneurs and we talked about giving up a couple points of ownership for this and that and they almost had a heart attack on the phone. I mean, why would I do that? Why would I want to avoid all these challenges? And I just it's it's I just observe it so often and they need independent input and they need it more than from their uncle Fred. Okay. Who gave him $5,000?
1: <clears throat> There's the FFF, family, friends, and fools who will listen to you and say, hey, you're so young. You're so cool. You're so sharp. You have so many great ideas. That's what we're going to talk about at Christmas or Hanukkah dinner this year. Okay. Let's move on. Bob Mazur, I have picked from your list of predictions, number two to start. This is interesting. Getting back to people, you say, Arrogance will imperil startups. The view that nobody does what we do, nobody knows what we know is seldom true. And this goes back to my comment a few minutes ago, Bob. You say it often causes a lack of objectivity and will continue to derail startups. Bob Mazur, talk to me.
4: Well, I'm sure everybody on this panel has seen this. Uh, and I'm sure Jim with the person he saw, talked to yesterday or every other startup, you know, w- they think they know everything. You know, in a complex technical world, they don't know everything. Um, They may know some technology, they may know a little bit about the market, but they don't know everything. And that kind, and when I see people that, you know, and, and I think Jim also raised the issue of communications, they don't listen. And, you know, they can be right, but you would want, as you just discussed, to have input from people who are subject matter experts you can't be overnight a subject matter expert. Um, You may have a great idea. So what you really need to do is build a team around you that has that subject matter expertise. And that can be people who work for you, it can be on your board, can be on your advisory board, because there are landmines and there are a lot of things that people aren't gonna know or understand. And then you've gotta have ever who's running the company, build a culture that allows that communications of those experts to flow into the company with ease um and not shut off just because someone doesn't like what you say or that advisor says and ultimately you you've got to get this team working together as best as possible and bring everybody's talents to bear and that's really hard that's real and that again is a is a people skill how to communicate with people how to listen to people recognize them and take in their input and make those people feel that they're being heard.
1: Thank you, and and on that point, Bob, people being heard, three little letters come to mind. I think we all are, you're not gonna be surprised, NDA. Are we in the era of the NDA? How do you protect your idea? Don DeLoach, just quickly, I know this is not in our predictions level here, but how do you protect your, protect your idea? You're supposed to have a culture. You're supposed to have a team. You're supposed to have leadership. You have board of directors. You have the people who are investing in. You have the stakeholders. You got to tell them something. You got to be articulate. You got to put down something on paper, virtually or real. How do you protect your idea? Or is that- up in smoke. Don Deloach, how do you protect? Let's quickly go around the table. Don? Okay. Uh,
0: uh, I'll try to make it short. Um, number one, you you get good advice from people in terms of the, the context of that idea in terms of the market. Um, and then if you decide, do I, do I want to go down a, a patent path or do I want to go down a trade secret path? Most small companies who spend a ton of money on patents could never defend them if they tried. So, I mean, that, what you asked is a complex question, but yes. it's one that startups should be asking and be objective about the advice they're getting, too.
1: Thank you, let's go around. Robert Eberhardt, thoughts quickly. How do you protect? I do wanna do one more set of predictions. So yeah, go ahead, thank you.
2: Robert. I'll do, it. I'll do it real quick, but yeah. you know, basically, if your company's success is depends on keeping your product secret, then you've got a problem. Um, the issue is not that you keep the product secret, but you deploy defensive strategies that work so that other people, when they try to get into your space, you know, are tied up in knots. And that's difficult
1: to do, and the reason we need more expertise. Interesting. Jim Ganyard. thoughts on protecting an idea?
3: Well, first, the the only proven way to protect an idea, which is protect your share, is to sell a bunch of customers. That is the greatest protection against anything, okay? And that's why you have to find the sweet spot and go there. The second thing is I would advise all entrepreneurs to read the book, The Blue Ocean Theory. Uh, which essentially says don't fight in a red ocean where all the big players are and just try to beat them with price and all that. Find a place where the unique things that you can do make sense
1: to close deals. Thank you. And Bob Mazur, you're going to finish this part. What do you think?
4: Uh, you know, ultimately, I think I, I absolutely agree with what Jim said that um, you, if you rely on patents or trade secrets, that's that's not going to get you very far ultimately is, i go back to what I just said, it's building that team with that knowledge, which is not easily repl- replicatable in terms of putting that team together and having then work, have that team build the business model and implement it. Um, because it's hard to get people together um, who complement each other.
1: Thank you. And compliment, I think we can spell both ways. Jim Gagnard, thoughts, please. I, just, I
3: have to tell you this. One of the companies I ran, the first day I walked in the office, I saw a wall full of patent plaques. I mean, it was a wall. I didn't think the design was that good, but it was a wall full of patent plaques. The company also had burned through $28 million and had two customers. Okay, but they had a wall of patent plaques. Um, Very interesting. That they couldn't afford to defend.
1: And I'll never forget the time I was invited to breakfast at a diner. I come from New York, Long Island, by a gentleman who had an idea for a company. And he bought me breakfast, and he's picking my brain. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? And I said, well, why should I share my ideas with you? And he said, oh, I'll let you in on the ground floor if this gets off. And you'll be able to have sweat equity. You'll have to work for me for two years. And if we were successful, I might give you a couple of shares in the company. He went off, patented his, got his company started, took all of the ideas I shared with him at breakfast made that into his the title of his company the mantra the the mission and everything and i read about it and i I had no recourse. I was sharing my input with an entrepreneur who was hungry for ideas, and he solicited my ideas for the the cost of, I think it was French toast and a bad cup of coffee, and look what he came away anyway. So pre- inter- very interesting, very interesting. Let's go around one more set of predictions <clears throat> before we go. We have 10 minutes left. Don DeLoach, prediction number four. I love the way you worded this one. You say the current frothy... Oh, you have to tell me what that means. I'm thinking of crema on top of a good cup of espresso. The current frothy venture market will subside and fundamentals will once again prevail, reminding venture investors and especially entrepreneurs to stay focused on the fundamentals and stop chasing the shiny penny. Don, three minutes, talk to me.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully some will, but many won't. So, So if we go back, just go back from the time I started running companies, um, I lived through the tech bubble in, in 99, 2000, 2001, the financial crisis, uh, and I was running a company who 99% of our customers were capital markets customers in 2007, 2008, and then the, the crypto bubble that we saw in 2018. All those are examples where the fundamentals of the market weren't, weren't, weren't intact, like, like the, the valuations in the tech bubble. The the uh, uh, the the artificial propping up of, of of fintech and what was going on in the financial world, uh, the crazy um, uh, uh, tr- trading in crypto, all of these were were um, uh, steering away from the fundamentals of of what drives good companies and good execution, and, and those type of um, circumstances. Cause people to do things that, in retrospect, are regrettable, and I think that right now we're seeing a very, very frothy market in terms of uh, valuations for you know seed rounds and Series A rounds and, and, and more. And and I I understand that these things happen, but it, we're going to end up with sort of an adherence to the mean type of approach where things will shift back to fundamentals. And all I would say is for an entrepreneur who's getting caught up and look at these valuations and everything, just take a step back and say, what are we doing? What market are we going after? How does it address the market? What does that look like in terms of sustainability over time? And don't get caught up in, you know, this could be super, super valued. And then all of a sudden, we're going to, you know, live happy and merry for the next 30 years.
1: Just pay attention to the fundamentals. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's quickly go to Robert Eberhardt, prediction number two. I love this. We talked a little bit about this before. The acceptance of failure in entrepreneurship mythology, ooh, will help cause and encourage the acceptance of greater inequality. I really need you to unpack that for me, Professor. Go ahead. Two minutes.
2: Uh, All right. I'll take two minutes. Yeah, this really comes, this is a very important concept. It shows how ideas of commercial activity and entrepreneurship can bleed into other realms of of activity and actually start having real effects everyone knows that the majority of companies that started going to fail particularly knowledgeable people who start them know that that's why they protect the downside it's not a good thing to fail ever I've given a cripple thought uh experiment to um my students imagine that you're a vc investing in two companies that are identical one of them the founders had two ipos the other one is had one ipo and one failure who do you invest in you go with the two ipos it's you know it, they may learn something out of failure but there's something more to learn out of success the second thing i think that's really important to understand is that Thing, that idea that failure is inevitable in that realm has been borrowed and put in other realms of our uh, of our world. For example, we have to accept failure in. Uh, In our lives because we're now independent agents engaging with various companies and where we are ourselves entrepreneurs as we go and sell contracts, you know, work on temp gears, do contract work for somebody for a few years, and we're always selling and so and and having to accept the inevitable fail failure. The reason that links up with inequality is because that's different from in the post-war America up till about 1980. We saw the corporation as responsible for employing people and keeping people employed and having them have good outcomes. Now we see people are responsible for themselves. You have to engage. You have to drive Uber if you can't do anything. You have to, you know, sign contracts. You have to become a temporary employee and just move from different company to different company. Or you have to be an entrepreneur. And so what's happened is that as people have... Uh, accepted this, we're creating a, two realms of the world: the people who are inside organizations, getting health benefits and vacations, and do, mm-hmm. you know all the things used to come, and everyone else who has to be a temporary worker, engaging with this occasionally, no benefits, no health. You know, and we're seeing an increasing, not an increasing fact of, but increasing acceptance of inequality. And as the great author Thomas Piketty wrote, every society has to come up with a reason why things are unequal. The entrepreneurialism that I'm discussing is, I propose, the reason we're accepting it in our society.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. We have to speed through the next two. Jim Gagnard, prediction number two. Early stage companies will refuse to add an independent director before they add financial investors. Jim, 90 seconds. Go.
3: Um, It's simple. Uh, These entrepreneurs need a reality check. And an operator, an independent board member is a reality check. They will guide them with how to sell, how to find early adopters. They will guide them how to focus rather than boil the ocean. They will guide them to build version one rather than version three and let the customers then tell them what they need in their product. So they need that voice of reality that's independent from the energy and focus that drives them as an entrepreneur.
1: Thank you. That was brief. You caught me short there. I appreciate that. <laughs> Bob Mazer. I Bob it. I well, you always do. You're always valued and appreciated. Bob Mazer, last prediction. This flies in the face of some of what we've been saying. You say the product is too early, which will be a cause for failure. Startups will commonly be ahead of the market. Some will fail because the market has yet to mature to a point where their solution can gain traction. I was talking about is there any such thing <laughs> as a new idea? Bob Mazer, I can give you a full two minutes because Jim was so tight. Go ahead. Oh, Thank him. you, Jim.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the time. Um, oftentimes, you know, think for, for a startup to be successful, things need to be aligned. There needs to be a market. And I'll give you an example. When I worked on the digital radio project, I had this idea of bringing a, a digital pipe into a car to communicate with the driver, maybe sell things. There was no way that was gonna work in the mid 90s because there wasn't an infrastructure in place to make it work. It was a great idea if I pat myself on the back, but the reality is it, it wasn't viable. And oftentimes entrepreneurs will come up with fabulous ideas, but there's a whole ecosystem around them that they have to interact with to actually make it successful. So it can be the greatest technology ever invented but if that ecosystem's not there to support it, um, it can't happen. And so we often see you know, that technology comes along and it just goes nowhere. But all of a sudden, five years later, we were able to utilize it because of that ecosystem that has developed around it. And so timing is hugely important. And I know entrepreneurs say, we got to do it yesterday, we got to do it yesterday, we got to do it yesterday. And I love that drive but sometimes it has to be done tomorrow.
1: Thank you very much. Don Deloche everybody give Don a round of applause for bringing all of you together. Jim Ganyard, lovely to see you again. Bob Mazer, such a pleasure. Professor Eberhardt. I always respect advanced degrees, so thank you so much. I would take a class from you anytime if the if the opportunity arose. I want to say thank you to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice America Business Channel. Thank you, Aaron, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Now, panelists, I want you to stick around for a picture after, but I want you all to raise your finger and wag your finger at the screen right now. And if somebody tells you Come on, Professor, w- w- wag your finger. there. If somebody tells you the future is already here, you're going to say, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future, all right, you can put the finger down. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all here to try and make it a better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you to everyone for watching on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Thank you to our listeners around the world on Voice America. If you know somebody who would love the show, find us on Voice America Business Channel, Technology Revolution, the future of now, and wishing great success and savvy and expertise and smarts to future entrepreneurs. I hope we've helped. Everybody wave goodbye. Don't go away, panelists. Bye-bye.